Hey, True Crimers, I'm your host, Jonah B., and welcome to another episode of True Crime-ish, where we try to tell the stories as true as possible around here. Before I begin, I want to share this week's golden rule, which is, you are not a victim for sharing your story. You are a survivor for setting the world ablaze with your truth. Okay, so quick little story time before we start getting into this week's case. Y'all, like I'm so all over the place today. I am in the middle of moving. So just saying those words let you know like the state of mind I'm in. Like everything is just chaotic inside and out. So for some reason when I was packing, I packed up all of my podcasting equipment. I don't know what I was thinking, but I went and put it into the storage. So. With that being said, I knew that I needed to get my microphone out of the storage to record. But yesterday, instead of doing that, you know, I was convinced to go and get food instead. And, you know, like when you mentioned food with me, oh, and I really don't even take that much convincing. I was really just asked. I was not convinced. So I was like, you know, I'll just get up in the morning. I'll go and get it. It'll be easy peasy. I'll get it done. Long story short, did not get up as early as I thought I would. But, you know, I was running on a pretty good time frame. So I go into the storage, which is like 30 minutes from the location I am now. Don't ask me no questions. I don't want to tell y'all no lies. So like 30 minutes from where I am now. And I like drop off a few more things at the storage as well as, you know, get my equipment. I head back to my place and y'all, the microphone has disappeared. I have literally been looking for the microphone for the past hour, like looking retarded, walking in circles. I don't know if we can say retarded still, but it's my podcast, but looking completely retarded while, you know, trying to figure out, I'm like retracing my steps back forth. I'm even adding steps to be able to figure out what I did with this microphone. Over an hour later, I'm kind of about to cry because I'm going to have to drive back to the storage. Like that's taken away from me getting my podcast uploaded. And then I have to be out here dealing with these dumb DFW driver. So I'm about to like cry a little bit. I ain't gonna even lie. And I kind of like had my flashlight on and I walk out of the door and literally something shiny catches my eye. And the mic is laying in the garage in the most, the plagues don't even make sense. It's like near the door, but it's underneath like this tarp that I'm not even sure how it wouldn't have gotten there. And y'all like, I just... I just, I just have no words. It just made me like realize like the Lord really be like, were you about to give up and just finally just go whatever? Like I was about to go there and he just showed up. He was like, girl, here is your little microphone. Calm down. And now I'm here and we can get into this week's story finally. I just need to get that off my chest because that was like insane to me, y'all. I was literally like, I was questioning my sanity. I was like, oh my God, like, did I never actually have a microphone? Did I like want it so bad that I envisioned it being in my hand, envisioned me walking in with it? Like, it's crazy. The life we live, y'all. But let's get into some serious. 
So I'm pressing the restart button on today. So welcome to the second best month of the year outside of April, that is. And happy Black History Month, y'all. I hope all my people up wear, you know, their finest black attire, drinking out their best black coffee mug, and just getting ready to go and have a beautiful black day. Because if I can say so myself, it's a great day to be black, y'all. But seriously, take some time today and give you and your ancestors a pat on the back just for doing y'all thing and just sit back and take into account what it means to be Black and in what ways are you going to continue to make advancements for our people. Now, getting off my soapbox, this week's case is a lot of different than any other ones that we've covered so far. We're going after an unidentified serial rapist, one who attempted to ruin the lives of many, one who tried to take the joy from women permanently, one who has been wanted for 26 years. We are going after the D.C. area hotel rapist, not to be confused with the D.C. area rapist. You know, we had one sicko raping women in hotels specifically, and then we just had another sicko just raping women in the area. And we need your help to bring this unidentified loser to justice. On June 19, 2018, U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, Jesse K. Liu, made an announcement that would be the first of its kind in D.C. Jesse was informing the world that an indictment against a John Doe was being filed. Yes, you heard me. A John Doe. No name, no identification, just a DNA profile was being charged with two rapes that were committed in Washington, D.C. back in 2003. This John Doe was also believed to have committed serial rapes in Maryland and Virginia as well, but D.C. was on a time clock. Maryland and Virginia does not have a statute of limitations for sexual assaults, which, you know, thank God, because why would you put a time frame on such a thing? But D.C. does. There is a 15-year statute of limitations for sexual assault crimes in D.C., meaning that the rapes that Mr. Doe committed in 2003 was about to be null and void, and he would just be able to run off into the sunset as far as D.C. was concerned. But Jessie Lou was not having that, so she got a little fancy and charged Mr. Doe with a John Doe indictment. For those of us who are not aware, because I surely was not before this case, a John Doe indictment allows prosecutors to indict a person who is unknown based on DNA testing of evidence. Its purpose is to permit an indictment to be filed even if law enforcement have been unable to discover the identity of the suspect within the time period defined in the statute of limitations. And as a non-criminal, this sounds like great, like two thumbs up. Like we get to suspend the statute of limitations and come after you anyway. But, you know, if I was a criminal, this would be mad crazy. Like how y'all going to reset the clock when I was just about to get off Scott or Scott or whatever Scott free. I'm no lawyer and all the legal terms were just going over my head. So I'm not sure if this indictment waives the statute of limitations altogether and the prosecutor can pursue you forever or what. But anywho, Jesse Liu had filed the very first John Doe indictment in D.C. and she was determined to make sure he is caught 
that he will not be able to escape justice just because the passing of time. Mr. Doe was just not a rapist. He's a rapist with a specific MO. What he did was scour different hotels, walking hall after hall, twisting doorknob after doorknob, preying on the housekeepers. Waiting to find one of them alone in a room cleaning, he would walk in behind them, close the door, threaten them with whatever, and then violently rape them. This loser would terrorize the Washington metropolitan area for eight years, spanning between 1998 and 2006, leaving witnesses in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C., which is how law enforcement was able to get their first sketch of Mr. Doe back in 2003. But with the advancements in technology, an age-progressed sketch of this guy was released in 2018. And I need y'all to check our Instagram, which I already know y'all following, to see if you have seen this guy. Not only did he leave witnesses, he left plenty of DNA. A total of six rapes have been tied to Mr. Doe from DNA alone. Three rapes match his M.O., and there were five possible sightings of Mr. Doe lingering and wandering around hotels in the area. So now I want to go through the DNA-linked assaults, possible assaults, and possible sightings of our Mr. Doe. Our first possibly leaked case happened on August 22, 1998, in Arlington, Virginia. Shortly after noon, a 30-year-old housekeeper was sexually assaulted in a room at the Quality Hotel in Arlington, Virginia. Incident number two occurred on May 26, 2002, many years later, in Hyattsville, Maryland. Around 6.50 a.m., an 18-year-old woman was sexually assaulted in the offender's vehicle on the 4,000 block of Penwood Street. After having been picked up by the offender, I'm not sure where they were coming from or where she thought they were going, but his vehicle was described as a black four-door car, and this case is linked by DNA evidence. Incident number three took place on December 1st, 2002 in Silver Springs, Maryland. Around 2.30 p.m., a 31-year-old housekeeper was sexually assaulted in a room at the Hilton Hotel on Colesville Road. And this case is linked by DNA evidence as well. Incident number four, which is also linked by DNA evidence, occurred on May 11, 2003 in Washington, D.C. At about 3.15 p.m., a 27-year-old housekeeper was sexually assaulted in a room at the Renaissance Hotel on 9th Street. Incident number five, also linked by DNA, happened on May 23, 2003 in D.C. as well. Around 10.30 a.m., a 68-year-old housekeeper was sexually assaulted in a room at the Jefferson Hotel on 16th Street, which can't be that far from 9th Street, so he is just in the area, y'all. Incident number six, which was a possible sighting of Mr. Doe, occurred on May 28, 2003 in Arlington, Virginia. Around 10.30 a.m., a suspicious person was observed at a Hyatt Hotel on Wilson Boulevard and the police were called. Incident number seven also occurred on May 28, 2003 in the same exact area. Around 10.45 a.m., a suspicious person was observed in the Marriott Courtyard Hotel on Clarendon Boulevard just 
15 minutes after the suspicious sighting was reported at the nearby Hyatt Hotel. Incident number eight, which happened on June 6, 2003 in Arlington, Virginia. At approximately 10 a.m., a 29-year-old housekeeper was sexually assaulted in a room at the Holiday Inn Hotel on Jefferson Davis Highway. This incident is linked by DNA as well. Incident number nine occurred on June 9th, 2003 at about 12.13 p.m. A suspicious person was seen at the Residence Inn in Greenbelt, Maryland. The suspect was questioned by an employee, but left the hotel 10 minutes later. This occurred 15 minutes prior to an attack on the nearby Marriott Courtyard, which leads us to incident number 10, also occurring on June 9, 2003, in Greenbelt, Maryland as well, at 12.28 p.m., a 22-year-old housekeeper was sexually assaulted in a room at the courtyard by Marriott Hotel on Golden Triangle Drive, which is linked by DNA. So he's just prowling the area. If one hotel doesn't work, he'll try another. Incident number 11 occurred a few days later on June 13, 2003, but this time in Gathersburg, Maryland. Around 11 a.m., a suspicious man was seen trying to open doors on various floors at the Marriott Hotel on Russell Avenue. The individual then hastily fled in a black Nissan Sentra. Incident number 12 occurred the same day, but now he's made his way down to Lincolncombe Heights, Maryland. Around 12.10 p.m., two housekeepers reported that they saw a suspicious person resembling the suspect portrayed in a warning flyer given to hotels at the Sheraton Baltimore Washington Airport Hotel. A major shout out to the women who did not hide what happened to them, but came forward and told their survival story. It is only because of these strong women's courage to step forward after one of the worst moments of their life that another woman was spared. I'm not sure which combination of the survivors up until 2003 were able to give detectives enough details about the man that they were able to, you know, actually create a sketch, but I am thankful for them. The man was considered to be in his 20s or 30s, between 5'7 and 5'10, with a medium to stocky build, brown eyes, black hair, and a medium to dark complexion, which... Really sounds like any and everybody, but immediately detectives hit the ground running, plastering his face in and around all of the cities he moved through, which is why the housekeepers in Maryland were able to be on alert and report the sightings so quickly. As we know, law enforcement has been able to collect some good old DNA from multiple scenes and CODIS have become operational, but detectives didn't get any hit. And since there hadn't been any more reports for almost two years after the last sighting at the Sheraton Baltimore Washington Airport Hotel, detectives probably assumed Mr. Doe was locked up or possibly, hopefully, had died. Unfortunately, they would be wrong. The O3 attacks wouldn't be the last. On February 13, 2005, around 11.30 a.m., a 34-year-old woman was sexually assaulted at Knife Point in a room at the Quality Inn Hotel on New Hampshire Avenue in Tacoma Park, Maryland. 
It's like, you know, the detectives were playing like this lone, drawn-out game of cat and mouse, and detectives had always been multiple steps behind. The attack stopped again for almost another year before detectives got a call from a Red Roof Inn on Richmond Avenue in Alexandria, Virginia. On February 6, 2006, at about 3.40 p.m., a 28-year-old housekeeper was beaten and sexually assaulted at knife point. So to keep you on track, only six of the suspected 14 incidents are DNA-linked to the suspect. So there is no actual hard evidence in like the eight other cases slash sightings, but to detectives, the MO matched. So moving forward into 2018, what we did not mention is there was actually more evidence found at some of the attacks that detectives believe belonged to the suspect. And it's that press conference that Jesse Lou called where they actually went ahead and was like, here y'all, this is what we got. So back in 02, during the assault in Silver Spring, the suspect dropped a red-handled box cutter. That particular box cutter had the name Debbie handwritten on it. They also found a black hat at that same crime scene, like one of those beret or barrette hats, or however you say it. During another assault at the Renaissance Hotel in 03, the suspect's ring came off, or better said in some articles, the ring was snatched off by the survivor. To detectives, the ring is very unique and it looks like it could possibly be a family heirloom and we will of course have pictures posted of that as well. Now moving on to the age progressed picture that was done in 2018. I know y'all are wondering how this was done since we don't even have a real picture of Mr. Doe. Well, a private laboratory called Parabon Nanolabs based a sketch on the suspect's DNA. Like, completely amazing. Well, I guess it'll be like completely amazing if it actually looks like the guy, but we don't know what he looks like yet. But the idea of doing said thing is amazing. The analysis of the DNA included eye color, skin color, hair color, face morphology, and biogeographic ancestry. Make sure y'all hit up our Insta to get a close-up of all this evidence, including a map of the attacks and interviews from detectives on the case. I also wanted to mention that the FBI, who was like doing a thing, trying to help out through all of this, They included a creation of the behavioral analysis of the suspect, but it has not been released to the public for some reason, but I would love to get my hands on it if I could. So on top of all of that, a combined reward of up to $45,000 is being offered by the FBI, the Metropolitan Police Department, Montgomery County Police Department, Prince George's Police Department, Greenbelt Police Department, and Arlington's County Police Department for information heading to the arrest and indictment of the unidentified suspect. 45 big ones is out there, y'all. Like, let's get this money. Stop playing. August 22nd, 2024 will mark the 26th anniversary of the first assault in 1998 and survivors, detectives, and the multiple cities he played are still waiting for justice. Before concluding, I would like to reveal the scope of the sexual assault problem that we all face by giving some statistics. So every 68 seconds, another American is sexually assaulted. 
one out of every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. About 3% of American men, or 1 in 33, have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. The majority of sexual assaults occur at or near the victim's home. 48% were sleeping or performing another activity at home. 29% were traveling to and from work or school or traveling to shop or run errands. Like 12% were working, 7% were attending school, and 5% were doing an unknown or other activity when their assault occurred. And I said all that to say that you are not alone to all my survivors out there. I hope you really realize that you are not a victim. You are a survivor. You are loved. Forgive yourself. It is not your fault. And these are the words that I need you guys to really understand and let resonate through you. And y'all, that's all we got on the D.C. area hotel rapist who is still unidentified to this day. Me personally... It would be, I guess, maybe easy if, you know, a victim had, you know, gave him what he deserved, just went, on, went ahead and shanked him a couple times and they hid his body. They already dug up a little grave or fed him to the coyotes or put him in the Mississippi or something like that. But I also understand wanting justice and closure for these families. If you're anything like me, certain things from this whole ordeal is just not adding up, like questions begin to arise more than anything. So 99.9 times out of 100, any criminal who commits these types of crimes have most likely gotten caught at least once or twice, whether it was for this like sexual assault stuff or they were like doing something different. Nine times out of 10, they've been arrested before. There's rarely a criminal who violently and brutally attacks women who hasn't been arrested or at the least detained and had their name ran through the system. So I find that very odd. And it it makes me wonder, could this unidentified suspect actually be a cop or someone who works for or with law enforcement? Because to me, unless this unidentified man is an intelligent, strategic, and cunning criminal, and most criminals are never all three, like, come on, let's be honest. There is just like no way that we have not caught this guy, especially like now having his DNA. I don't care what nobody say. The government, enforcement, all that, they got our DNA. They got your DNA. They got your DNA. It's somewhere locked and loaded. I'm telling you it is. This is not conspiracy theory C talking. This is just me telling facts. This man, we, if he ain't dead, like even if he is dead, we need to figure out who he is. We need to bring justice to this family. Now, if you do have a different opinion, because the cop theory is just mine. It's like when the math isn't math, then it's a cop. I just go there with my head. But like, like I said, if you do have a different opinion than I do, I want to hear it. Like, let me know what you think through our Instagram page or wherever you're listening. So now that we have filled you in on this unidentified man, if you lived in, live in, or you know somebody who was in this area or may have visited these areas during these time periods, please shoot them the podcast link, shoot them the pictures from our Instagram. Think hard, y'all, and make sure to stay vigilant.
Welcome to February. Welcome to Black History Month. Thank y'all for tuning in every week with me. I'm honestly blessed to have y'all. It makes my heart happy that somebody out there is willing to listen in and hear what I have to say. So until next week, can't wait for you guys to hear what we have next. Love y'all. Bye. Mm-hmm.